0: Hi, this is Kendall Boyson, professional life and recovery coach, and you're listening to Encouragementology, the practice of instilling hope. Hi there. Thanks for joining me. On this show, we're turning down the volume of outside influences, past mistakes, and limiting beliefs to turn inward as we listen to our gut and follow our heart. Do you feel pushed, pulled, and prodded, not sure what to believe or how to feel? When's the last time you checked in with your own thoughts? That's right, you have them, and on a gut level, you know what sits right with you and what causes you to pause or shut down. So many times we ignore how we think and feel, or worse, never even give ourselves the consideration that we might even have an opinion. We're quick to jump into the mainstream and adopt what we think we hear and believe to be the popular opinion, because why? To belong, to feel a part of something, to align versus being out of alignment. Maybe your own personal opinion is the popular one, and maybe it's not. Let's check with ourselves to see. Some might say I live in a bubble, but I see it differently. Check, I've reached the first checkpoint, considering how I see it. I've spent a good amount of time on self-reflection over this journey of self-discovery. One of the things I learned is that I didn't always value my own thoughts and opinions and was quick to morph to fit in. It took some effort to untangle this web of patterns to see what was truly authentic and what was contrived. I've also had the luxury of age. Yep, I said it. I may not always refer to aging as a luxury, but in cases of self-awareness and from an experiential context, it's the best. This is the bizarre switch that flips, where as you start figuring things out, you start caring less about what others think. I'm not referring to giving up and not caring. I'm talking about not letting self-doubt and the potential criticism of others creep in. It's beautiful. Now, the icing would be if the physical deterioration would instead follow the path of mental enlightenment. Hmm. Oh well. Crystal Raypool proposes gut feelings are real, but should you really trust your gut? Found at Healthline.com. A sixth sense, hunch, or gut feeling, whatever you choose to call it, the sudden flash of insight from deep within can inspire plenty of faith. The old saying, trust your gut, refers to trusting these feelings of intuition often as a way to stay true to yourself. Following your instinct can certainly direct you toward the best path for you, and yet you might wonder whether you should put so much trust in a feeling, an instinct you can't explain. Wouldn't sticking to logic and reason help you make better decisions? Not always. Science suggests intuition can be a valuable tool in some circumstances. It seems those gut feelings do mean something, and they can often help you make good choices. Ever experienced a nagging feeling of unease about a situation? Suddenly felt suspicious about someone you've just met? You can't explain your feelings logically, but you know something isn't quite right. Or maybe a rush of affirmation or calm floods you after a tough decision, convincing you that you're doing the right thing. Gut feelings can invoke a range of sensations, some not unlike the physical feelings associated with anxiety. Other, more positive sensations might seem to confirm your choice. Some people describe gut feelings as a small internal voice, but you'll often hear your gut talking to you in other ways. So here are some signs. A flash of clarity. Tension or tightness in your body. Goosebumps or prickling. Stomach butterflies or nausea. A sinking sensation in the pit of your stomach. Sweaty palms or feet. Thoughts that keep returning to a specific person or situation. Feelings of peace, safety, and happiness after making a decision. These feelings tend to come on suddenly, though they aren't always strong or overwhelming. You might experience them as a faint whisper or the barest sense of uneasiness, but they could also feel so strong you can't imagine ignoring them. If it feels like your brain is encouraging you to take notice of these feelings, well, you're not far from the mark. Though gut feelings often seem to come out of nowhere, they aren't random. They don't actually originate in your gut either. The gut-brain connection makes it possible for emotional experiences to register as gastrointestinal distress. When you feel anxious, fearful, or certain that something's wrong, you might experience stomach twinges, pain, or nausea. That's where the name gut feeling comes from. Experts have come up with a few potential explanations for these feelings. Normal brain processes. Research links these flashes of intuition to certain brain processes, like evaluating or decoding emotional or other nonverbal clues. As you go about your day, your brain collects and possesses sensory data from your environment. You're perfectly aware of some of this information. For example, if you notice two people shouting and pushing each other outside a store just ahead, you'll probably cross the street. But you wouldn't say your gut told you to move since you made a reasoned decision based on available information. Your brain carries out these processes automatically to help prepare you for any situation that might come up. Since these processes run in the background, you may not always realize what you're observing or what it means. What if you suddenly feel a strong urge to cross the street? There's no obvious reason behind your impulse, but you can't ignore it or the tingling at the back of your neck. A few seconds after you cross, the sign on the building ahead comes crashing down right where you would have been walking. You stare in disbelief, heart pounding. How did you know what would happen? This flash of intuition probably doesn't relate to any mystical sixth sense. It's more likely that as you walked, you made some unconscious observations. Maybe one corner of the sign hung loose, wavering in the wind and slapping against the building. Perhaps other pedestrians noticed and stepped away, and you followed without realizing it. Gut feelings bring up some of the same physical sensations as anxiety, so it can be tough to tell the two apart. You might also worry your mistrust of someone else suggests paranoia. Let's say you told a friend about what happened on your date instead of digging into those messages. Your nerves got the better of you. It's totally normal to feel nervous when you finally meet someone great. You felt certain something wasn't right about them, but you decided your suspicions must have come from nerves after all. So when should you trust your gut? Gut feelings can be very real things grounded in observation and experience. Still, you may not want to use them to make every decision. Here's a look at a few scenarios where trusting your gut is probably a safe bet. When you can separate them from wishful thinking. Wishful thinking happens when you want something to happen so badly you begin to believe it will happen. It's difficult to rely on intuition when you lack the experience to back it up. When you need to make a quick decision. Research suggests the wealth of experience already cataloged in your brain can serve you well when you need to decide something quickly. Sometimes you'll want to weigh options, compare reviews, and get as many facts as possible. In some situations, though, you may not have much time to deliberate. When you're trying to get in touch with your needs, logic and reason can't always compare with your intuitive knowledge of what you need. After all, you know yourself best. When you lack data, gut feelings can't replace cold, hard evidence, but you may not always have facts to consider, or you might have some data, just not enough to guide you to an answer. Your emotions can play an important role in decisions, so trust them. The choice you make might resonate more soundly with your sense of self. Time and practice can hone your intuition, so give your gut feelings the consideration they deserve. Tuning into your emotions and bodily cues can help you practice listening to your gut and learning when to trust it. How many times have you said, I knew better, why didn't I just do what I first thought or what my gut told me? Why don't we go with our gut? Mel Robbins would say, when you have a thought, you have five seconds to act or you'll talk yourself out of it our minds end up running through all the ways your initial thought won't work. The what-ifs. Well, what if this happened, or this, and I didn't even think about this? And before you know it, you deviate from your original thought. While you're stuck in doubting yourself, you tend to cling to popular opinion, or even the loudest voice and the last one talking. Adam Grant says, The loudest voices rarely represent the majority they're usually speaking for the extremes. You won't understand the views of a group until you've invited the quieter voices into the discussion. Don't mistake silence for disengagement. It's often a sign of deep reflection. Ready to get quiet and listen? Karen Young offers nine ways to tap into your intuition and while you'll want to, found at heysigment.com. You know that feeling. It's a knowing, or at the very least, a gentle persuasion that something is off or awesome or needs our attention. It's subtle, and it doesn't clamor for attention, which is why it's easily missed. It's intuition. And like most things that speak with a quiet voice, if we listen, the potential is life-changing. For a long time, intuition was dismissed by science as pseudoscience, The sort of science, but not really. Fortunately for all of us, science is now on board and researchers have found the part of the brain where intuition does its brilliant best. Researchers at Leeds University analyzed a hefty pile of research papers on intuition. They concluded that intuition is a very real psychological process where the brain uses past experiences and cues from the self and the environment to make a decision. The decision happens so quickly that it doesn't register on a conscious level. Intuition exists in all of us, whether we acknowledge it or not. The more we can learn about it, the more we can use it to shape our lives for the better. The human brain has two operating systems. The first is quick, instinctual, and effortless. This is where our intuition lies. Intuition works by drawing on patterns collected by our experience, and when we have to make a quick decision about whether something is real, fake, feels good, feels bad, right, or wrong, we draw on these patterns. It all happens offline outside of our conscious awareness. The second operating system is slower to respond. It's more analytical and deliberate, and it's conscious. Science has found real evidence to support the existence of intuition. There are plenty of studies, but let's talk about one in particular, because it's a good one. This particular study showed how the intuitive part of our brain knows the right answer long before the more analytical part. In this study, participants played a card game, which unknown to the participants was rigged from the beginning. Participants had to choose from one of two deck of cards— One was rigged to provide big wins, then big losses. The other, small gains, but hardly any losses. The participants reported that after 50 cards, they had a hunch about which deck was safer. After 80, they were able to explain the differences between the two decks. But here's where it gets interesting. After only 10 cards, the sweat glands on the palms of the hands opened whenever they took from the dangerous deck. It was about then that the participants started to prefer the safer deck, and there was no conscious awareness that this was even happening. So before the analytical part of the brain knew what was going on, the subject's intuition guided them toward a better decision. Every person on the planet has intuition, but not every person listens or chooses to listen. Intuition is the way the subconscious mind communicates with the conscious mind. The information that informs that feeling is real. It's like any other decision, but the workings of it, the collection, the storage, the putting together happens outside of our conscious mind. So intuition is a brilliant thing. The sharper it is, the better off you'll be. So here's how to feed yours so it's flourishing and ready to advise. Shh and listen. It sounds simple enough, and it is. No tricks here. Your intuition can't talk if you're not listening. When you start to take notice, good things will happen. Just try it and see. Trust your gut feeling. When a word like gut teams up with the word like feeling, You know there has to be a good reason, and there is. Research suggests that emotion and intuition have a physical presence in your gut. The gut is lined with a network of neurons and is often referred to as the second brain. It's known as the enteric nervous system, ENS, and it contains about 100 million neurons, which is more than the spinal cord and peripheral nervous system, but less than the brain. This is why we get sick about having to make a tough decision or knowing we've made a bad one. You also have to feel. You'll know your intuition is there because you'll be able to feel it if you let yourself. You'll feel it in your belly and it will goosebump your skin, send a shiver down your spine, race your heart and quicken your breath. Sometimes it's even more subtle and the only way to describe it is a knowing. You'll feel it when something is right. It will feel clear, nourishing, and enriching. And you'll feel it when something's off. Maybe an ache or a flattening. Trusting your intuition might be difficult at first if you're not used to it. But give it time and trust it bit by bit if that feels better. It will be worth it. Be ready to let go of bad feelings. Negative emotions will cloud intuition, which is why when you're angry or depressed, bad decisions can happen so easily. Research has backed this, finding that people made better intuitive choices in a word task when they were in a positive mood as compared to when they were in a negative mood. Be deliberate about the people you hang on to. People who drain you will add to the noise and make it more difficult to hear what your intuition wants you to hear. Chances are you already know how they are. If not, be still for a moment. Your intuition will be trying to tell you. Keep people who enrich and empower you and walk away from those who drain you. Understandably, you can't always walk away from the troublesome ones. If that's the case, empower yourself by making it your decision to stay rather than theirs. The difference is subtle in language, but big in impact. One lets the power stay with you, and one gives it over to them. Pay attention to what's going on around you. The more information you're able to gather from the environment, the more the intuitive subconscious part of your brain has to work with, and the more accurately it will inform your decisions. Connect with others. There are so many things that inform your opinions and decisions other than speech, body language, volume, tone, gestures, they all contribute to the meaning we give to our interactions with people. Sometimes we have a feeling about people, but we can't quite put our finger on what it is. People might seem distant, distracted, uninterested, and often they aren't spoken, but are picked up through different ways. The ability to pick up on the thoughts and feelings and intentions of others is referred to as empathic accuracy. The more time we spend with people, the more we can finely tune our empathic accuracy. Being able to pick up on the signals of others will add to intuition. Find time to be silent and still. Having solitude turns down the clamor of the world and allows you to tune in to your intuition. Our intuition is always sending warnings and encouragement, but often we're too busy to notice. Let your mind wander and be open to what comes to you feelings thoughts or words one of the ways to do this is through mindfulness by focusing your thoughts on your own experience in the present moment mindfulness gets rid of mental clutter and makes way for you to connect with your intuition use your dream time well dreams are the brain's way of processing information that's left over from the day They're rich with valuable data, experiences, memories, learnings, so they can work hard if we let them. Paying attention to dreams can provide information that we may not have access to when we're awake. Before you fall asleep, turn your thoughts to any unresolved issues or problems. Think about possible options or resolutions before falling asleep. Close your eyes and let your brain do the rest. Intuition is powerful and can lead to amazing insights, but that doesn't mean you follow it blindly. It's still important to use common sense and a balance of rationality. You need a balance of both. Call into play both the intuitive and rational parts of the brain to position yourself to reach the best decisions. When is the last time you tested your theory? Which one? Any of them. Your thoughts about the world, other people, and yourself are theories. Where did these thoughts come from? Experiences, connections, what others think, and what others want you to feel. But before you adopt these ideas as your own, take the time to test them. Why do you feel fat? What's wrong with the way you laugh? Who said you're misinformed? Why does it matter if you've never done this or that? Who said you needed to pick a side and now? Shut it all out and get into your bubble. This bubble doesn't have to be an isolated cell that you can't see out of, but it can involve a protective boundary of space and time where you have plenty of room to sit with your own thoughts. You might need to schedule some bubble time First thing in the morning before the world wants to carry you away, or over lunch to help you reset with renewed energy and peace, and definitely before you go to sleep, so that you can free yourself from uninvited and unwanted ideas. It's time for you. Dr. Itmar Schatz suggests reflective practice, which is thinking about the way you do things, found at effectology.com. Maybe we should share our ologies. Just kidding. Reflective practice involves actively analyzing your experiences and actions in order to help yourself improve and develop. For example, an athlete can engage in reflective practice by thinking about mistakes they made during a training session and figure out ways to avoid making those mistakes in the future. Reflective practice can be beneficial in various situations, so it's worthwhile to understand this concept. There are many potential benefits to reflective practice. These include, most notably, acquisition of new knowledge, refinement of existing knowledge, for example, by correcting current misconceptions, an improved understanding of the connections between theory and practice, An improved understanding of the rationale behind your actions, in terms of factors such as why you do things the way you do them, and why you don't do things a certain way. Improvement of your goals and of the rules that you use for decision making. A better understanding of yourself in terms of factors such as your strengths and weaknesses. Development of your metacognitive abilities, for example, when it comes to your ability to analyze your thoughts more effectively. Increased feelings of autonomy, competence, and control. Increased motivation to act. Improved performance, for example, due to learning how to take action in a more effective way or due to having more motivation to take action. These benefits can apply not only to the specific domain in which you engage in reflective practice, but in other domains. For example, if a musician engages in reflective practice with regard to how they play their instrument, they might improve their understanding of their preference as a learner, which could help them when it comes to their academic studies. In some cases, reflective practice is viewed as not only beneficial, but outright crucial to people's goals. One scholar noted it's not sufficient simply to have an experience in order to learn. Without reflecting upon this experience, it may quickly be forgotten or its learning potentially lost. It's from the feelings and thoughts emerging from this reflection that generalizations or concepts can be generated. And it's generalizations that enable new situations to be tackled effectively. If it is intended that behavior should be changed by learning, it's not sufficient simply to learn new concepts and develop new generalizations. This learning must be tested out in new situations. The learner must make the link between theory and action by planning for that action, carrying it out, and then reflecting upon it. Overall, there may be potential benefits to reflective practice, including a better understanding of the rationale behind your actions, increased feelings of control, and improved performance. And these benefits can extend to additional domains beyond the one in which you're engaged in, in your reflective practice. Broadly, reflective practice involves thinking about how you do things and trying to understand why you do what you do and what you can do to do it better. I mean, don't we all need that? As such, there are many ways you can engage in it, and different approaches to reflective practice will work better for different people under different circumstances. One notable way to engage in reflective practice is to ask guiding questions. For example, when it comes to reflective practice in the context of a recent event, you can ask yourself the following, how did I feel while the event was happening? What were my goals? What were the main things that I did? What went well? What went badly? What should I do the same way next time? What should I do differently? When deciding how to engage in reflective practice, it's crucial to find the specific approaches that work best for you in your particular situation. This means, for example, that if you try to engage in reflective writing, but consistently find that thinking aloud works better for you, then it's perfectly acceptable to do that instead. While peer feedback can facilitate reflection in some cases, it can also hinder it in others. So you should use it only if you find that that helps. Keep in mind that it's generally more difficult and time consuming in the short term to engage in reflective practice than to act without reflection, especially when it comes to reflecting as events are unfolding, and this can make people prone to avoiding reflection. Also, the difficulties of reflective practice sometimes make it impractical, meaning that people must avoid it in certain situations. But in cases where it's possible to engage in reflection in a reasonable manner, doing so often ends up being beneficial in the long term both when it comes to performance, as well as to when it comes to related benefits, like personal growth. You know, we've all heard the pros and cons of following your heart, but what if your heart was your spirit that influenced your mind? What if your gut was the guard who stood watch over your heart? How are all these connected? Your body is for you, even when you think it's against you. When you get a cut, your body works to heal. When you're overheated, your body works to cool. When you're overwhelmed, your body works to calm. You have an army of energy and love on your side. So let's see how they're all connected on your behalf. Brian Gorman introduces Change Leadership, why your head, heart, and gut are critical to listen to, found at Forbes.com. When was the last time you listened to all three brains? Neuroscience now tells us that we each have three brains. The one we most often think about and pay attention to is the head, or cephalic brain. We also have a heart, cardiac, and a gut, enteric brain. Each has sensory neurons, motor neurons, ganglia, and neurotransmitters. They're able to take in information, process it, store it, and access it when needed. They are all true brains. Each brain has a number of functions that it serves better than others. Our cephalic brain is great for thinking, cognitive perception, and making meaning of things. At its best, it's the seat for creativity. Our heart-brain is meant to take the lead on emotional processing, on values, and on connecting with others. At its best, it's the source of passion and compassion. And our gut-brain is designed to focus on our sense of self, on self-preservation and mobilization. At its best, it's the root of courage. All too often, business leaders either are disconnected from their heart and gut-brains or they process the messages those two brains are sending them through their cephalic brain. Their reasoning is that business decisions are best made rationally with the necessary data and thoughtful analysis. They don't wanna depend on gut instinct. They want emotion out of the equation. Using this approach, there are times when everything works out fine, and there are times when the result is problematic or even disastrous. While the three brains should be core leadership tools every day, they take on special significance during major change. By definition, during transformational change, the old ways of doing things, and even the old ways of thinking, are no longer viable. There are no clear answers, or there are multiple answers to be weighed. Productivity and quality are taking a hit. Power dynamics are shifting. The amygdala hijack kicks in for individuals across the organization, from the executive suite to frontline workers. Fight, flight, freeze, appease. All too often, those who are most resistant to change fight, and those most capable of navigating change take flight. Not only are the three brains critical for leaders during major change, but the sequence in which they are applied makes a difference as well. Number one. The cardiac brain, the heart. How passionate is the leader about achieving the end state that the change initiative promises? In the absence of deep passion for the change itself and for its success, they will begin with either the cephalic or the enteric brain. The cephalic brain, the head, Connecting to a deep passion to succeed with the change, the leader is able to be creative about ways in which the end state may take shape. A leader who starts here because their heart isn't in the change won't bring the same level of creativity, nor will they ever develop the deep level of commitment needed to lead a transformational initiative. People will recognize that their heart isn't in it. It's unlikely they will invest their hearts either. The enteric brain the gut serving as a change leader in a major change takes courage which is rooted here now it's time to assess the creative options and to choose courageously the one that will set the course for the path forward the path chosen in this way will likely involve painful decisions unknown risks and sometimes high levels of uncertainty neither the cardiac nor the cephalic brain will select the courageous path, yet it is the courageous path that offers the greatest potential for success. Now the leader needs to cycle back and forth with the cardiac, the cephalic, and the enteric brains. The cardiac brain brings compassion to the planning. It fuels the passion for the change, keeping the leader involved, committed, and moving forward. It ensures that the values of the leader are adhered to, The enteric brain provides the courage for major decisions that need to be made with insufficient information and courage to take the difficult actions that are required. And the cephalic brain offers its expertise in critical thinking, problem-solving and creativity. I love learning about how powerful we really are because if you turn on the TV, read the paper or scroll social media, you might be told otherwise. I would be remiss if I didn't feature an issue we are all aware of, yet unwilling to fully accept – media manipulation. It's important to understand this positioning as you strive to hear yourself above the noise. On the TEDx Talks YouTube channel, i found You're Being Manipulated and You Don't Even Know It by Nate Pressner. Let's take a listen. <laughs>
1: So I was Googling something the other day, and I was so desperate for an answer that I even checked the second page of the Google search results. (laughs) Now, presumably, you're really paying attention to me now, because research shows that people tend to remember and pay attention to things more that stand out to them as being interesting or funny. Now, according to Michael Griffin, an associate professor of media and cultural studies, this is how my grandparents got their news. Now, they could assume that the media was unbiased because journalistic integrity was one of the most important things at their time. On top of this, it was considered a public service, and honestly, they just didn't have many ways of getting news. This is how my parents got their news. Increasingly, we started to move towards a more 24-hours type of news, which led to an increase in competition to be the trusted news source, but also decrease the time for fact-checking. And this is how today's generation gets their news. We have so many options, and they're nearly all free. And because of this, many news sources began to pick their spot along the liberal to conservative continuum, and the continuum of presenting complete facts all the way to complete information fabrication. And with all of these vying for our very limited attention, we moved from a model where news could be assumed to be inherently truthful and unbiased to one which enabled fake news. You know, fake news, those false stories with the intent of influencing our our opinions and beliefs and are presented as facts? Yeah, those ones? Well, because of this, instead of news being the product, our attention became the product in the form of views, clicks, and likes. I mean, if we see a viral story about a shark swimming down a freeway after a hurricane, we can probably assume it isn't true and it's just someone having a little fun with some Photoshop. So, now we're... Now we're aware of fake news, and we're learning to be discerning about it. So, problem solved, right? What if I told you it's actually worse than this? What if fake news isn't all we need to be aware of? What about all the information we are being manipulated into believing is true because it's interesting or funny, and our guards are down? Let me set the scene for you. You've had a long day, you come home, You want to sit down, relax, and be entertained. Your guard is down. Suddenly, any information or opinions you may come across could just plant the seed of an idea in your head without you even realizing it. Jimmy Kimmel, Jimmy Fallon. Are they all named Jimmy? (laughs) Samantha Bee, Stephen Colbert, and John Oliver. All very funny people. But we need to be aware of how these late-night talk show hosts are influencing our political beliefs, and, dare I say it, manipulating us. In fact, take Jimmy Kimmel's tearful and personal resistance to a governmental health care plan on his talk show, which led to a very unusual situation. The president pushing for the plan, yet facing his greatest opposition from, wait for it, a late-night talk show host. We, the youth of today, are increasingly getting our information from non-news sources. In fact, 2018 research from strategic communications firm Broder Partners reveals that nearly half of Gen Z ranked YouTube as their first or second most important source of news. Millennials didn't even come far behind that with 44%, whereas the clear preference for Gen X and boomers remain traditional sources, such as newspapers and magazines. The study also revealed that, no surprise, entertainment and engagement are becoming increasingly more important. In fact, the younger you are, the more you consider the news you consume on a daily basis to be entertainment versus validated information. Only about 50% of boomers will say that the majority of the media they consume is entertainment but that number jumps to the mid-70s when talking to Millennials and Gen Z. Thus, the need to be discerning is higher than ever before, as the content is interesting and funny, and our fake news alarm bells probably aren't even on. In fact, it isn't just comedy shows that we need to be aware of. This applies to any information that's coming in where we might be forming opinions on politics or news without being aware of it. For example, this could be in an article on your social media feed, such as on Instagram, maybe in a conversation with a family member or a friend, it could be on a YouTube video, and even all those Netflix shows you binge. So, how can we combat having our opinions manipulated by interesting or funny information that is coming in? without us realizing that our guards are down. Here are three simple tips. Number one, start by recognizing when a video or a news source you're watching or looking at is not a trusted one. Just a reminder, the comedians themselves will insist that they are not real news. I mean, they're in the comedy business, for crying out loud. And they are not held to any type of journalistic standards. Number two, get a balanced view. When you find yourself forming a certain opinion on someone, make sure you seek out contrary videos to, uh, on both sides, those for and against that person, to get a more rounded view. And finally, you can always leverage existing sources that are aimed specifically at us, the youth of today, to combat fake news. For example, BBC has an interactive choose-your-own-adventure game that allows people our age to make decisions about what sources, political claims, social media comments, and photos can be trusted, and which ones might be fake news. In a world where the business model is increasingly becoming to capture our very limited attention, it's become more important than it ever has been to check that second page of the Google search results. Hopefully, you've enjoyed this talk. Maybe even found it interesting or funny. Maybe even interesting or funny enough to have your guards be down and accept everything I've said as the truth. So maybe now you're wondering, was anything in this talk fake news? Thank you.
0: If you want to share Encouragementology with a friend who needs to know they're not alone in this journey of self-discovery, you can visit Encouragementology.com or anywhere you stream your content to receive this episode and all others. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram for additional encouragement throughout the week. So I challenge you, book time to check in with yourself, heart, mind, and gut, to understand and embrace your own ideas, thoughts, and opinions. You matter, and getting in touch with who you are will help you uncover your authentic self. I know you can do it. Thank you for listening to Encouragementology with Kendall Boyson, where we find positive ways to handle some of life's challenges.